0: We're going to start a little mini-series here for Advent. Uh, we had Newt with us here for week one, so we weren't going to force him into anything, and I'm glad we didn't, because he was able to take care of himself. But um, we're going to do just a little three-week ser- series here on um, uh, the carols uh, of Christmas. And, and as they are thinking about it, just so many great statements of of theology and, and so many of the carols, and there's some... There's also some really bad theology in some of the carols, but there's, a, but there's a lot there, and I started thinking about some of these statements about Christ and, and things, and I'm like, this would be a great, a great series, just talking about some of these statements about Christ. So the, the goal being just helping us this Advent season to just be renewed in our vision of who Christ is, and how great and awesome and amazing our Savior is, right? It, it all... It all starts with Jesus. It's all centered around Jesus. And so many times, right, it's just, uh, you know, we get caught up in all these other conversations that are important conversations, right, about like, well, what about, what about this? What about this? And, what, you know, is this right? Is this wrong? And, and we need to have those conversations. But I, so many times I want to stop and just say, can we just stop for a moment? Can we just start with Jesus? Let's start with Jesus. Because if we understand him and his greatness and who he is, and bow the knee to him, then the rest of this stuff will start to be a little more clear and a little more easy to talk about. We get out of order sometimes. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about Jesus first. That's what we want to do in this series. We want to talk about Christ and. Uh, one of the themes that uh, emerged, and this isn't necessarily a statement about Christ, but felt like I couldn't really escape it. Uh, one of the themes that emerged as I started looking at many of the Christmas carols that we sing was this theme of the invitation to worship Christ all over uh, the carol. So we're going to look at that in just a minute. Let me, let me pray as we start here, and then we'll delve into this, this invitation to bow the knee and worship Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth thank you for not abandoning us keeping a record of our wrongs and treating us as we deserve God but instead sending Christ to come and be born to live and die as a righteous man to be crucified on a cross and rise again from the dead and and so the, the invitation there now is that all who are in Christ those who bend the knee and and bow to Christ as their Lord and Savior can be forgiven of of our sins and so we just thank you for this, God. I pray that this morning as we open your word, as we talk about the invitation to worship Christ, God, I just pray that your spirit would take your truth, your words, and, and plant it in our hearts. And change us, build us up for your honor and glory. God, I have nothing to say on my own, so I, I humbly ask for the spirit to speak and, and, and to use your truth to change us. For your glory, your kingdom and the building of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, all over the carols. Um, all right, I wrote down just a few of them here. Come and worship. Right, this is angels from the realms of glory. and um, O oh rest beside the weary road from it came upon a midnight clear. O oh, holy night tells us to fall on our knees. Hark the herald angels sing, join the triumph, join in. This is an invitation. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Now to the Lord sing praises, an invitation. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant, king, to own him. Let loving hearts enthrone him. From what child is this? Angels, we have heard in high invites us to come to Bethlehem. Come adore on bended knee. And these statements in the carols echo a theme throughout the Scriptures and throughout the New Testament to come and follow Christ, to come and bow the knee, to come and worship. You ever been invited to something cool? You ever been invited to be part of a, a team or a club that uh, you're like, oh, wow, what an honor. How cool it is. And maybe it was to a, a dinner or, or, or something that... Um, I remember one time with Zach. This is kind of an invitation. He and I were at a baseball game. we were in Chicago, a White Sox game. Uh, Grandpa had surprised us. The Red Sox were in town, and we were there at this game. And uh, ninth inning comes around, and the Red Sox were smoking, and they were up by like million, right, Zach? Something like that. Oh, like a lot. So all the White Sox fans had left. So we moved up, and we we're down in the front row of of um, whatever the whoever owns the White Sox Stadium now, whatever, U.S. Cellular or cut right or Joe's Bar and Grill, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so we're there at the front row of the stadium and uh, the, the Red Sox fielders are warming up for the bottom of the ninth and Mookie Betts is out there in right field playing catch with the the the, the bullpen catcher. And for those of you who don't know Mookie Betts, he now plays for the Dodgers but uh, Mookie Betts is a great baseball player and if his career continues on the trajectory that is, he will be in in the Hall of Fame. And uh, so it was really cool. That was uh, Zach's favorite player. And so we're sitting there watching Mookie Betts uh, warm up. And all of a sudden, they're getting ready to end the warm ups. And Mookie Betts looks over and he points, like in our direction. And he's pointing. And Zach and I, I'm like, like I'm like, nobody. I'm like, Zach. Hey. I'm like, I'm like, Mookie, I'm like, and he's like, and he comes running over. And I'm like, Zach, Zach, and Zach, I'm like, Mookie Betts is coming over here, and he comes, and he runs, and I don't know, he gets about as far away as uh, Riley there from me, about that row, and and, uh, he's like, hey, here's the ball, and he he throws us the ball that he had been warming up with, I drop it, and he's like looking at me and he's like, dude, I'm like, well you didn't throw it to me good, you know, I'm like, I'm here, I'm having an interaction with Mookie Betts for crying out loud Unfortunately, though, the walls are this high, so I just reach down and I pick it up, I'm like, you know I give it to Zach, and he was pointing at Zach he wanted Zach to have it, I'm like thank you, and he's like, you know, and he runs back and I'm like (gasps) like, (gasps) I brought it, it's in Zach's room it's in a glass case the Mookie Betts ball is there like that was cool like we, I was invited by Mookie. He wanted to give me something. Right? That's, that's the invitation of, of Advent. It's, it's God himself looking at us and he's pointing at us. This Advent season he says, I have something for you. I have a gift for you. I'm calling you not to have a baseball. I'm calling you to worship. Jesus Christ, I'm calling you into my work and my family and my kingdom. What an awesome thing! that advent invites us into to worship Jesus Christ this invitation to worship him is embedded in the birth narratives in both Luke and Matthew's gospels and in Luke right we see it as these angels appear to the shepherds who are watching their sheep one night and all of a sudden the sky explodes with this powerful heavenly host proclaiming God And they say to the shepherds, we bring you good tidings of great news, for to you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. So there's not a direct invitation, but this is an invitation, right? Because the angel tells them how to find Jesus. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And the shepherds understood this as an invitation. Because as soon as they're gone, what do they say? Let's go see this thing that the angel has told us about. We know what to look for. He told us we've been invited to go find Jesus. You go to Matthew chapter 2. The Magi coming from the east, these Persian kings. Turn there for, with me, actually, to Matthew chapter 2. And check out this account Matthew chapter 2. And here you have these, these Gentile kings. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So there's this conversation now with Herod because he didn't like the idea of another king being born. So he says, go find him, and when you do, tell me so I can go worship him, which he didn't really want to do. He wanted to kill him because that's how Herod was. And so we pick up later on, the wise men leave. In verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. These men were invited. They understood that there was something different. God put this star in the sky and it called to them. And they came to Bethlehem and they bow. These are, these are high class people. These were, were the, the, the upper echelon of society, perhaps even royalty And they come miles upon miles, probably journeying for weeks through the desert to come and find this king and respond to the invitation to worship Jesus. Like I said, this theme is echoed throughout the New Testament. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I want to just give you a few examples throughout the New Testament, these invitations to Jesus Christ. And as we do that, I want the question in your mind to be, how have I truly responded to the invitation to worship and live my life for Jesus Christ? How have I responded to that? Let's look at a few of these invitations expressed in the Gospels. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14, verse 7. That's not it either. I had this problem in the first service. Um, pay no attention to me, as I. Oh, here we go. Yeah, Luke fourteen, verse fifteen. So they're reclining at table. Um, when those who reclined at the table with Jesus heard him, they said, "Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God." But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another man said, I've married a wife, and therefore I can't come. I don't know what that means, but he couldn't go because he got married. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you command has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquets. A great invitation to come. And this imagery of the banquet in the New Testament becomes a a metaphor for for coming in and being included in, in the people of God. We see it even in the Old Testament, right? Passages like, um, that was Mookie, by the way, Passages like uh, Isaiah 25, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And you see this play out and this ends in Revelation, right, with this marriage supper of the Lamb. And the invitation is to come and partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this is the imagery, and here in this parable, yes, the master is saying, "Come, come and sit, come and dine." The invitation is there to come and take your place with Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, right? When you think about it, the excuses that were given were incredibly lame. <laughs> like think about it. I bought a field. I got to go out and look at it. Like who buys a field without looking at it first? Right? Oh, I bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go look at them. What? Same thing, right? If I'm going to buy a new car, I'm probably going to want to look at it before I buy it, right? Sight of, no. And then, yeah, the guy, I don't know. Like, I just got married. I can't come. I, why? I, the wife has a honeydew list probably already, and he's got to do that. Maybe. I don't know. But, right? I, I mean, why can't these guys go? I, the, the excuses, if anything else, they, they communicate. That these people are, are are too caught up in the things of this life, putting over other things above the kingdom. They had no concept of the significance of the invitation because they were blinded by the things and the pursuits of this world. There's right? an invitation. And I ask you this morning, what excuses do you give for not responding to it? Whether that's for not responding to the gospel and faith for the first time, or whether that's just not responding to the daily call to to take up your cross and follow him and live a life of obedience to Jesus. What are your excuses this morning? Because I guarantee in light of who Jesus is, they're probably every bit as lame as what we read here. Luke nine twenty three and Matthew sixteen twenty four the invitation if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me Matthew eleven twenty eight through twenty nine come to me who all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you it's an invitation John seven thirty seven if anyone thirsts it's an invitation let him come to me and drink. John 3.16, whoever believes in Him has everlasting life. It's an invitation. John 6.40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes. It's an invitation. John 10.9-10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that I might give you life and give it more abundantly. It's an invitation. Rahab, the harlot in Jericho, understood that she could respond to this God of Israel. And she responded to the invitation. The spies said, do this and you'll be saved. And she does it and finds herself in the line of Messiah. So what excuses do you give for not bowing the knee to Jesus Christ? Why have you rejected such an amazing invitation to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to surrender your life to Him? We've been invited. An invitation has been extended to us. That's an awesome thing. Cooler than any baseball player saying, come here, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is saying, come. I'm invited to worship and adore Christ. To worship and adore Christ. Christ. I want to talk about worship and adoration in just a minute, but I want to start with the object of that worship, Jesus Christ. How does that name strike you this morning? Jesus. Jesus. I've had the joy and blessing of knowing that name, my whole life. And that's an awesome thing. It can be a two-edged sword sometimes, though, too, right? Because sometimes Jesus becomes Jesus. Get used to him. Jesus. I'm called to come and adore Jesus. So come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. This is The great I am. In John chapter 8, remember this account? And Jesus makes a statement. Before Abraham was, I am. In those words, and they knew exactly what he was saying because they picked up stones to kill him. Because he just claimed to be Yahweh. He just claimed to be the person. The name they couldn't even speak The one who uttered the words and the world came into existence out of nothing. The God of the cloud, the pillar of fire. The God who split the Red Sea. The God who thundered and roared from the top of Mount Sinai. Jesus is saying, that's me. I am. I'm invited. You're invited to bow the knee to I am. Jesus, God himself, Jesus of Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end I am invited to bow the knee to him so why do I bow the knee to so many other things that are so much less than he is I'm invited worship jesus for many of us the ongoing challenge of our lives is to take our familiarity with christ and awaken within us a french a fresh sense of awe at who he is so that our familiarity with him does not breed indifference toward him and that's often what happens check this out the the end of the book of john flip over there for a minute john chapter 21 Very last verses of John's gospel. And it's funny, I'm going to read a passage here from Revelation just a minute, and i try to put myself in John's position. Uh, yeah, John was inspired by the Holy Spirit and his writing of Scripture, but can you imagine trying to write what John had to write about throughout his life? Like the life and times of Jesus, and then he's on the island of Patmos, and he like, <laughs> hey, write this stuff down, and John sees the throne room of God, and he's like, what? how... <laughs> It looked like Jasper, like John trying to capture. And you sense this a little bit at the end of John chapter 21 now. There are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is who you are invited to. John, who spent the better part of three years with Jesus, walking with him and talking with him and watching him teach and watching him heal. John, and you think about everything that John wrote down, and John's going, I didn't even scratch the tip of the iceberg. If everything was written down that I saw Jesus do and what I heard him say, he goes, the world wouldn't even be able to contain the books. That's how incredible and amazing this man is, worthy of our worship. I'm invited to him. Someone whose story the books that could fill the whole world can't even contain. I'm invited to worship him. What lesser things do I settle for in my life today? Turn over to Revelation, chapter 1. alluded to this just a minute ago. Revelation, chapter 1, verse 12. John writes, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. (laughs) But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. invited to bow the knee to him, John's like, I'm dead. (laughs) And John knew him, right? John spent three years with him, and when John sees him in his glory, John is overwhelmed. You know, one of the cool things about this, though, too, you know what I love about that account right there? Here's John seeing glorified Jesus, and he's overwhelmed. And Jesus reaches down with his right hand; he puts it on John's shoulders. John, don't be afraid. Hey, it's me. This is who I am. I, I think in that moment you see the breadth, the meekness, and majesty of Jesus Christ, still gentle towards his friend, but in all his awesome power and glory called to worship this savior in all his glory how have you responded what excuses do you offer this morning for not bowing the knee to him these words worship we sing the word adore a lot at christmas adoration is is a latin word it means worship they are one in the same synonymous with one another some ways, I like the word adoration that we sing at Christmas time because, in some ways, it communicates a little bit of the deeper side of the meaning of the word worship, which maybe has lost a little bit of its edge in our modern day usage of it. Well, this biblical concept of worship and adoration includes a, it's an intense uh, emotion reverence, it's bowing before, bending over at the waist, and humility. So, there's a couple words for worship in the New Testament. This one kind of captures this sense here. Literally, means in the Greek to kiss towards, to kiss toward. And of course, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, a kiss was a a great sign of esteem and reverence. There's a consuming quality in these words, adoration and worship. You know, when we speak of a couple. Maybe he's been dating or about to get married, and we, we, we make the statement like he adores her. All right? That's a lot stronger than saying he, he likes her. Right? Uh, he adores her. What do we mean by that? Like, like he's all in. <laughs> like his world revolves around her. Like he's he's a servant to her. He, he, he loves her dearly, right? They we kind of that's the adoration. Yeah, and this is. Just echoing themes of the New Testament. We already read about the wise men, right, in Matthew chapter 2. Again, this is Persian royalty. And they come and they trek through the deserts with camels. Bad weather at times, threat of thieves always. They come and they, they trek to worship and bow down before a baby lying in a stable. Actually, I guess at the time he wasn't, but that's where he came from, right? He, humble, poor family, and royalty comes and bows, and they present gifts. And here's the thing, too. They leave, right? A, the characterization of what their attitude was, and they leave. It wasn't like, man, I'm glad that's over with. We just put a lot of miles on those camels. That's a rough trip. we got to go all the way back. And man, that frankincense is expensive. It sent me back a couple months. You know, no. They understood something special, different. And they leave with exceedingly great joy. It's worship. It was no sacrifice at all. I'm bowing the knee to Jesus. I'm full of joy, Right? Matthew 14, 33, other examples of worship. The disciples, after Jesus calmed the storm, remember that? storm is raging. They're afraid for their lives, and Jesus stands up says, Peace, be still. And the disciples are like, oh. And they fall down, and they're like, what manner of man is this? Even the wind and the seas obey him. Matthew 28, 9, the women who met Jesus after his resurrection, they, they take hold of his feet, And they worship him. John 20, 27, after Thomas sees the resurrected Christ, sees the holes in his hands and the scar in his side, and he falls down and declares, Face down, my Lord and my God. And then Revelation 5, we see it's not just limited to humanity, right? The elders around the throne were told, I mean, these are beings who are so far superior to us in every way, in their strength and their power and their authority, part of the, the council of God around the throne. And we're told that when God is there in the Lamb, that these elders fall down on their face in worship. Here, the elders of heaven falling on their face. And yet, me as a human being... Hold tight to the things I want that I don't want to surrender and worship to God. Who am I to do that? The elders of heaven and all their power and glory fall before him. Are you worshiping him this morning? I was thinking about that this week. Like, What is this? worship look like in my life? It's not just that emotion. It's part of it. But Paul in Romans, or, uh, Romans chapter 12 gives us the other word. There's another way that it looks like. Romans chapter 12. I beg you, I beseech you, brothers, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And he goes on and says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Worship there is a different word. It's the word for service. The true. It's also an act of worship. It's bowing before Christ. It implies submission and reverence, allegiance, and commitment. I worship by taking up my cross and following Jesus. This is also a worship. You see great progression in uh, Matthew 16 and 17. and I don't know to what extent Matthew had this in his mind or did this on purpose, but I, you know, Matthew's theme is discipleship. And you see at the beginning of Matthew 16, there's, there's the great declaration, right? There's the, uh, by Peter. Jesus asks the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you're Christ. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but spirit has. In other words, you nailed it, bro. <laughs> like, that's it. That's who I am. We've established who I am. I am the son of God. And just eight verses later, you then see Jesus telling them, take up your cross and follow me. Who do you say that I am? The Christ, the Son of God. Good, we've established that. Now what's the appropriate response of worship? Take up your cross and follow me. Right? But then it goes on, and here I think you see the full spectrum of worship in Matthew 16 and 17. In Matthew 17 then, in verses 1 through 8, you have Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he takes his disciples to the top of the mountain, and they see him in his glory, and they fall down on their face in worship. Right. So there you have it. This is who Jesus is. The appropriate response of worship is to serve him, to take up my cross and follow. The appropriate response of worship is to fall down and humble myself and be in awe of who he is. So I ask you again this morning, are you in awe of him? Do you understand his value and worth? Do you live a life of worship? I could ask you the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say he is? And not just, oh, he's God, he's the son of God, the baby born in the manger. No, how do you answer that question with the way you live your life? That reveals the true answer to that question for you. That reveals truly how you have responded to the invitation. Who do you say I am? You are Lord. Then live like it, right? Are you like the rich man who went away? In great sorrow, when Jesus told him to follow, and he went away in great sorrow, and Luke says it's because he had many possessions, he just couldn't release. I heard someone put it this way this week, and I didn't hear it was when I was reading. And it, and I liked this because it gave me pause. It made, it made me stop and think for a minute. All right? We talk all the time, rightly so, you know, about obeying Jesus and following Jesus, and pleasing Jesus, and honoring Jesus. And that's right terminology to talk about when we talk about discipleship. But this book I was reading, it went through that, and he said, I heard this summed up one time in a different way, and it caused me to think, and the question was this. Yes, I want to ask it all of that way. but Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Love and I heard that, when I started thinking, 'm like, "Well, that feels different than just saying I can kind of mechanically say, "I follow him, I obey him. I love him. That implies like bigger. I was like, "What is that? What does that look like? What do I love in my life? What do I like what do I, right? there's a lot of things I like. I started thinking what do I like. I like uh, I like wilderness trips. I, I, I like playing games. I, I like the Buckeyes. Mm-hmm. But to attach the word love or adore to those things. Mm, actually, no. Eh, that's too much. Right? Because the reality of it is, you, you take anything, any of those things out of my life, and I, I may miss them for a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to be fine. But adore, love. And, and, and what, I'm like, family is what came to mind. Here's why I was, this was Monday. This past Monday, I've been thinking about this, Adore, Love, and it was the day that uh, Carissa, you know, here for Thanksgiving, and she, she went back to Cedarville on, on Monday. And so I kind of had that daddy, a little bit of that daddy funk going on, on on Monday. And I'm like, that's it. Something's missing. And if you took any of them away, my wife, like, that's another level, Adore. You take them away. I'm not getting over it. Jesus needs to be that to me. That's adoration. That's love. You take him away. I'm not getting over that. Do I love him? Do you love him? Here's the thing as we close to understand that this call to bow the knee and to worship Christ Is a grace filled calling to the greatest of all objects of worship. The call to worship Christ is a grace filled calling to the greatest of all objects of worship. I can give my worship to Him. I'm not being called to some lesser thing. There's no ambiguity or cognitive dissonance as to whether or not this is the best choice. I've been invited to a great blessing. Kathy and I are terrible decision-makers when it comes to, like, especially buying things. And the bigger the thing, the worse it is, right? Like, we've been intending to buy a treadmill for five years now or whatever. uh, Car. Ugh. Paralyzed. (laughs) Like, right? And, you know, because you play the game. Like, is it like, oh, there's this one available, but if we wait, is there a better one? And, you know, like, this much money, and like, oh, this one has this, but I've heard this about this brand, and... Like, wait, maybe this brand, like, Consumer Reports, and, and there's always, like, this little bit of doubt, like, are we making the best choice, or is this one going to let us down, is this one going to fail us, right? Um, and, and, and then you're, like, stressed, and, uh, like, a couple years ago, I remember, like, we were having some issues with our furnace, and and um, some guy came out um, from a company I should say the name of, but I won't, um, and they're like, it's going to cost $12,000 to fix this, and I'm at Michigan's Adventure with Zach, and we're trying to figure this out, I'm, like, should we make this, th-? like, oh, should we do this and that, and then... And they're like, oh, and by the way, we have cancellation tomorrow, so if you get it today, we can assault tomorrow. Another 10% off, and you're like, mm, you know, and, and and it's just like, and finally we're like, no, no, it's just too much. It's too much, like, we, we, this is too big of a decision for me to decide on shivering timbers at Michigan's Adventure, <laughs> you know. But, but like, oh, like, there's nothing worse than, like, this is a terrible. I can't decide what's the best, what's the, like, that is not the case with Jesus, the call to him, there's no ambiguity. There has, there's no wrestling. Like, is this worth it? Like, is he going to fail me? Is this going to be worth my life and my sacrifice? Yes, come and worship and adore. It's worth it. He's the ultimate object of worship. He's the pearl of great price. Jesus' parable, right? The kingdom and its king. Worth selling everything for to acquire. Jesus in Luke chapter 19, there's this powerful scene where Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and he's on one of the hills there overlooking the city as he's about to enter it and he sees it and he starts crying. Jesus is weeping. And he says, Oh, Jerusalem, if only you knew what would bring you peace. If only you knew. But you're worshiping the wrong things. And it's going to lead to your destruction. And I wonder how many of you sitting here today, Jesus is looking out over you and he's weeping. And he's saying, If only you knew only you knew what would bring you peace if only you knew what would bring you life you're chasing after all these things they're not going to do it for you come to me come bow the knee come worship come adore i will give you what you need the invitation is there what excuses are you giving the invitation of advent is to come and bow